0: Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Singer. I'm a Christian writer and blogger living in the beautiful state of Alaska. I'm also a trauma survivor and a mental health advocate. I've been through some tough things in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Grace Moments is about helping you hold on to belief in your darkest hours, embrace hope by knowing your suffering is never wasted, and be inspired by the stories of others who have survived their own tragedy Life, however difficult, can be a meaningful journey, and I'm here to walk it with you, so let's do this together. I don't know about you, friend, but the fails and faults of life discourage me sometimes. There are moments when I feel as though I've slipped so badly, either because of circumstances or because of my unbelief, that I am beyond the hold of God. Discouragement sets in, and I find myself telling myself that I'm going down so hard, so fast, that grace won't be enough this time to catch me, to keep me. While I know that this is every bit a lie, and you probably do too, there's still that temptation to think that you're past the reach of God, past the point of hope, that this will spell the end of you. Underneath all our deepest insecurities, is the greatest fear of detachment. Somehow we know we're not strong enough to save or care for ourselves, but we worry that God isn't strong enough either. Perhaps that is why Isaiah had to remind us all that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, because he knew that we all question it. Even for as many times as we've seen God move on our behalf, we fear that somewhere along the way, some fall or fail on our part, will be too much for God. When we think we are too much for God, maybe we feel it's just easier to give up on Him and on ourselves, to take our one broken heart and just go another way so as to not burden anybody, not be an obligation, to maybe even just not be at all. When we told ourselves that there isn't enough God to meet us where we are, to strengthen us, uphold us, keep us, we turn inward and attempt to self-preserve, only to find ourselves falling harder, faster. Recently, I was listening to someone talk about the book of Jude, little short thing that it is, often overlooked, yet packed with theological depth. And when they got down to verse 24, my whole entire being paused. And this is why I want to talk about this today. Listen to this. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Simple benediction, praise, acknowledgement. But let's take a few minutes to unpack a few things here. To Him, Who is able to keep you? Friend, do you really and truly believe that God's got you? Do you believe that the hands that hold the world are fully capable of holding your trembling heart too? Or are you like the disciples in the boat, screaming out for help because you see the threatening waves and forgot that your master is still with you? Too often, I believe, we think our preservation is conditional, that our place in the love and care of God is fluid subject to change. Yes, we know the scriptures that speak of him being God in whom there is no shadow of turning and a God who can't lie and a God who can't deny himself. Yes, we know these things, but do we live them? Do we face the dark moments of our lives when we have fallen or failed mightily and come back to the truth that we are always held and kept? Self-preservation is exactly that, keeping of the self, and the whole journey of God is to get us to turn loose of ourselves and to surrender the whole self over to the only faithful one who is able to care for it fully and finally. Author Ann Voskamp wisely noted, trying to self-protect can be how we self-destruct. Trying to save oneself can be how to lose oneself. The independence of choosing my own way can be what destroys my way. When we try to take care of ourselves, we take away the care god means to give would i don't expect god to take care of me i exile myself to the wilderness and yet isn't it strange that somehow we get this idea in our heads that if we don't take care of us who will we turn inward driven by the ever-present soul amnesia that tells us the untruth that's always been god isn't something enough strong enough capable enough wise enough, good enough. It's as if we'd rather be parched, alone, withered, and dying in that wilderness Voskamp spoke of than face the torment of having to trust our whole being to someone bigger than ourselves. It's like we are more content to agonize in our fear than to run to the only love that casts out fear and lay our head on his chest in surrender." Only when we come to the conclusion that we cannot keep ourselves do we realize that the keeper himself can be trusted. Trust. Yes, that's it, isn't it? Trusting enough that he is and will be enough with the candid knowledge that we are never enough in ourselves and only he can make us be enough because of himself. The great Charles Spurgeon was commented of his own experience I knew that I could not keep myself, but if Christ promised to keep me, then I should be safe forever. All throughout scripture, we see countless verses that point to the dependable protection and preservation of God. In Psalm 121, verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep your soul. Psalm one hundred forty five twenty the Lord keeps all those who love him. Genesis 28:15, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Philippians 4:19, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Matthew 6:26, Look at the birds of the air; they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Luke 12:7, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Isaiah forty six four, even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you and will save. Psalm thirty one twenty three, the Lord preserves the faithful. Psalm thirty seven twenty eight, the Lord does not forsake his godly ones, they are preserved forever. Can it be any more clear? God keeps us. We are safe, friend, held, protected, preserved. We don't need to run around frantically trying to save ourselves and worry over whether God is strong enough to handle our fails and falls. He's made it abundantly obvious. He's more than dependable. We just have to trust that he is telling us the truth. We have to stop questioning and start believing. Voskant points out yet again, The soul's greatest lack is confidence in God. Run away from your past, from rejection, from fear, from failing. Go running and looking for self-comfort in all the wrong places because you think you can write a better story than God. Take care of yourself and your people better than God, wanting to be a kind of God unto yourself, and you become a prodigal, an Israelite who wildernesses yourself. Not your way of taking care of me, but my way of taking care of me be done, and be done by me. We are not God, neither can we ever be. Voskamp is right by saying that we give ourselves over to the wilderness way, the detached way, the solitary way, the moment we decide that we know better than him, the moment we allow fear to take over our knowledge of the truth and start dictating how we live. The instant we let worry begin telling us that we are no longer safe with him and safe in him. If indeed all these promises of God are true, and I believe they are, then we need to start believing that the everlasting arms are there always to keep us and to care for us through it all. The unchanging God will never let us go. He has said so himself. And not only does he keep us, according to Jude, but he also is able to keep you from stumbling. God knows we trip and slip and struggle to stand firm. We fall often and hard. We fall greatly and consistently. There is nothing in us that can hold ourselves up when this happens, and were not God there to catch us, we would be doomed. And God is there to catch us. But I think we often act as if he's got so much going on in the world that there is no way he can pay attention to our stumbles. And we get so wrapped up in our fear of tripping that we stop trusting. We treat God as if he's too weak to help us, hold us up. In our panic over the situation, we grab at anything and everything we can think of to provide us with the assurance and the sense of safety we are needing. We run to the bottle, to the pills, to other relationships, to research and information, even to ourselves and our own wisdom, to give us the security we long for. And we worry. Oh, how we worry. We let fear creep in and set up shop. We are scared and desperate for a firm place to stand. Heart races and mind chases, and we struggle to hold on even as we feel our own grip slipping. Yet, according to Jude, the holding, the keeping, isn't up to us. It's up to him. Now to him who is able. Him, friend not you. You are not the sole agent of your own life, nor is it your responsibility to protect and preserve yourself. God is the one who alone can keep you from falling. Left to yourself, your grip would last but for a minute. His, it's for a lifetime. Want more proof? Psalm one twenty-one three: he will not let your foot slip. In Isaiah 41, verse 13, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand, it is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. Verse 10, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. John ten twenty-eight: 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. If you are gods, then nothing and nobody can release you from the hold of Christ and even your worst stumbles will never fully or finally remove you from his love or his care for you. I believe this is what the Apostle Paul was getting after in Romans 8:38 38-39, when he said that death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, no powers above or here on earth, nor anything the human mind could ever conceive, would be able to separate God's chosen ones from his love. One of the greatest examples of this is seen in the Gospels where we read the story of Peter. He had been called by Jesus to come be one of his discipled followers and do ministry with him for the next three years Jesus walked the earth. From all the stories we read in Scripture, Peter was a zealous type. He was passionate and he wanted to do well, but he was also hasty and sometimes jumped to conclusions or was too quick to confirm his human devotion and forget his fallibility none more so than when he denied Christ just before the crucifixion. Hours earlier, Jesus told him in front of the other disciples while they had commemorated their final Jewish Passover together that he would deny him three times. Peter, as probably would we all, could not conceive that he was ever capable of such a thing and firmly denied that he would ever deny Christ. Sometimes we put more confidence in our ability to stand than is actually possible. We expect that we've walked with Christ long enough, learned his ways enough, that our downfall should decrease more and more over time and we should never be capable of such sins or stumbles as those who aren't familiar with him. But Jesus knew all. He always does. And when he points out something as he tried to with Peter, it is wise of us to take his warning and not presume that we know better than him what is in our own heart. All of us are capable of way more evil, way more sin, Than we ever would imagine. If we could truly see the depths of our hearts as he does, it would honestly shock us. Peter was in for such a shock, for as we know, when the night wore long and tiredness hit and emotions ran high after the arrest of Jesus, Peter did the very thing he insisted he wouldn't do, and the rooster crowed three times, confirming the words of Christ spoken a short time before. John even writes in his gospel that at that moment Jesus looked at Peter and their eyes briefly met. Can you fathom the anguish and the shame and the guilt Peter must have felt? It goes on to say that he went out into the night and wept bitterly. And why wouldn't he? Everything he had given up for Christ and everything he had stood for and come to believe appeared to have been lost forever. But what he didn't know is that Christ had already set about a plan to reaffirm his loyalty to Peter, even when Peter had denied his loyalty to him. As we know, Peter and the other disciples hid in Jerusalem for a while after the arrest and death of Christ, worried the Jews would come after them also for being his followers. Eventually, though, Peter decided to go back to Galilee and return to his career as a fisherman. After all, what else was there to do now? Jesus wasn't around anymore, and he had so blown his chances of serving Christ, and at least he could get his dignity back by doing what he knew, returning to what was familiar. And it was there, out on the sea, after the resurrection, that Peter and those disciples fishing with him, out on the water, noticed the figure of Christ on the shore. And it was after breakfast Christ had fixed for them himself that he pulled Peter aside and proceeded to test his loyalty. He knew Peter's heart. He knew that he believed he'd fallen fully, and finally, that his sin was too great, that he had forfeited his chance to do kingdom work for Christ because of his denial. Three times. Yes, three. He asked Peter, Do you love me? When you read the passage in John 21, you can sense Peter's struggle because he sincerely does love God, but he just believes he's fallen too far to be restored. Yet, after each time Christ asks him the question, he tells Peter, Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. After the third ask, Peter knows what Jesus is doing and he is grieved in his soul and why wouldn't he be? But Christ persists in his pointing out to Peter that the mission still remains. The calling hasn't been removed, and he affirms it at the end when he reiterates what he said three years before that first time he walked along the same shore, follow me. It's as if he's reinforcing to Peter that as great as his stumble was, it didn't discount him from the kingdom purpose. There was still work for Peter to do, and in his deepest downfall, God could still be glorified. God could still use Peter's sin to prove that he is a God of second chances and that forgiveness is extended always, no matter how badly we've blown it. As we know from history, Peter went on to write multiple books of the Bible and to do missionary work all over, ultimately dying as a martyr for the sake of the gospel and the call of Christ. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling— and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We've all been there where Peter was, worried that our greatest failures ruined our chances at eternal life, and that this time God's grip just wasn't strong enough to catch us, and we've fallen too far beyond his reach. But what does Jude say here again? That he is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To present you blameless, friend, that is the good news of the gospel. God's mercy isn't just for the instant of salvation and all the past sins you've ever done. It's for the present and the future. It's for forever. We cannot out-sin God. Our stumbles, our falls, our failures, they may be many, but His grace is more. There is always enough God to keep you, to keep you from stumbling, and also to present you before the Father blameless, as though you'd never sinned. After all, He says that once He's forgiven us, He remembers our sins no more. Peter's fall was not final, and neither are ours. God is a God who restores, who makes new, and if you believe fully that you are eternally held and kept, It doesn't matter how difficult life gets. It doesn't matter how great your slips and falls are along the way. Therefore, you can trust Him literally with your life. You can believe that at any time, the pledge of God to preserve, protect, defend, hold, keep, love, and care for you is irrevocably true, and that nothing you could ever do or anybody else could do to you could ever be able to pull you out of God's hand. Just as it was his responsibility and choice to come and save and call you to follow him, as he did with Peter, so it is also his responsibility to keep you in his heart and his grip forever. And you can fall into that truth over and over and over again, giving over your worst fears to him in faith, knowing that he is with you and for you always. As Julian of Norwich once said, If there is anywhere on earth a lover of God who is always kept safe, I know nothing of it, for it was not shown to me. But this was shown, that in falling and rising again, we are always kept in that same precious love. God's god you, no matter what. And to that God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe to this podcast as well as leave a review. If you want to read additional content, please visit and subscribe to my blog at www.graceopens.blogspot.com. You can also connect with me on social media via Twitter at OpenToGrace2015. Instagram and parlor at Open to Grace Alaska, and on MeWe under my name, Catherine Singer. I'll see you in the next episode, and remember, Grace will always meet you where you are.